Uh, we're going to get back into God's Word. If you are visiting or you're new to Windsor Ways, the church has been reading 1 Peter, and we have got to uh, verse 13 of chapter 2. So if you do have a Bible or if you have it on a device, could I encourage you to go there with me? Last week, Tim brilliantly reminded us that we're not ordinary. Uh, we should never feel ordinary, or we should never fear being ordinary. We should not suffer from phobo. If you don't know what that is, ask your doctor. But why should we not feel ordinary? Why should we not fear being ordinary? Well, because in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2, we are described in four extraordinary ways. This on the, this is, this on the screen is who we are. Not because of a single thing we've done, not because any of us have earned this, but it's all entirely because of God's mercy and his grace. This is who we are, church. We kind of need to breathe it in. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special or treasured possession. I don't know if you believe that or not. I don't know if for any reason you struggle to accept that or not, but you see, if you are a Christian here this morning, then this is who you are, period. Nothing and no one can alter that. And as Tim said last week, in light of this, in light of who we are, we should do three things. We've been doing one of those this morning, but in light of this, we should do three things. We should praise God. We should declare the praises of God who has called us out of darkness and called us into his wonderful light. We should sing our hearts out. If we realize who we are, we should sing. And we should abstain from sinful desires. I find that a real challenge. I've been thinking about this this week. We're not just to abstain from sinful acts, but we're to abstain from sinful desires. That's hard. Harder. And then we are to live good lives. We are to do good deeds. And today as we pick up from where we press pause, we're kind of not left guessing, well, okay, hang on a minute. What, what does that actually look like? What, is it, what does it look like to live a good life and to do good deeds? Well, we're not left guessing, as I say, because Peter spells it out for us in what we're going to look at this morning. He reveals how Christians should live in the world in relation to those in authority and those in government. He talks about how we should relate to those in the workplace and he talks about how we should relate to those in the home. We're going to look at the first two of those this week. Now, before we get into this, let me make it clear, kind of give you a heads up that what we're about to consider together is going to be relatively tough. It's going to be a big ask. Most of what we're going to look at this morning is going to sound mad, a bit out there, a bit counterintuitive. And yet it is the way we, as God's chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his treasured possession, it is the way we are called to live. Not only is it the way we're called to live, it's the way we should live. So this is going to stretch, I reckon, this morning. This is probably going to upset some people. But ironically, this is the most liberating 
way to live. And so please stand with me as we read God's instructive word. First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Just get this from the beginning. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Take that in. Whether to emperors or to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors or who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good, not only to those who are considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure that, then this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So grab a seat. So we are to submit to the Northern Ireland executive, to the devolved government of Northern Ireland, to our first minister and our deputy first minister. Not at the moment. Okay, we are to submit to Theresa May's government. Or depending on where you live as a Christian, you're to submit to Leo Varadkar's government. You're to submit to Donald Trump's administration. You're to submit to Vladimir Putin's government. How do you react to that? I'd love to know what's going on in your heads at the moment. Honestly, how do you, re how do you relate to or talk about any of those leaders? How have you spoken about any of those leaders this week? How do you speak about their governments and their administrations? Government is a gift of God's common grace. We need, we need to get that in our heads. We need to understand that. Government is a gift of God's common grace. And amongst other things, in the words of verse 14, if you have your Bible open in front of you, what are governments meant to do? They're meant to punish those who do evil, who do wrong, and they're meant to commend those who do right. In other words, governments are meant to maintain and promote 
justice as they govern and as they lead. Now, we could spend all day talking about any of the above governments and how they measure up or mess up with just this basic requirement. But you know something's not the point. Or at least it's not the big point. It's not the main point. The explicit instruction to all Christians, irrespective of who is in authority, is simple, really simple. Submit. Submit. That's the posture that Peter commands all Christians to adopt and to embrace when dealing with governing authorities. And just a couple of points to to make as we get into this, and I did say this might get under some people's skin. But the first point I want to make is this, that those authorities who exist are there because they've been established by God. And again, you may want to come back on me in this, but all I'm doing is quoting scripture. So in Romans 13, was that? Romans 13 verse 1, it says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I kind of can't wriggle out of that. You may not like who is in authority. You may not have voted for who is in authority. But second thing I want to say is we need to note who was in authority whenever Peter wrote this. Because if we think that this instruction and this command sounds rather naive or it's just a bridge too far in terms of today's world as we think of some of the leaders who are in charge, can you imagine how this sounded to Peter's audience, to Peter's readers who were living under who? Who who was in leadership? Nero. A ruler described by his own people as compulsive and corrupt. This is the guy who, for pleasure, dipped Christians in oil, set them on fire, and used them as torches to light up and brighten up his gardens. And Peter writes, Submit yourselves to every human authority, whether the emperor... And we're sitting thinking, why? Why? Why should we do this? Why does Peter encourage the Christians here to do this? Not just why, but how? Well, for a start, some of you will have picked up that I've just on the screen there misquoted Peter. I know you were all, somebody was about to stand up and say, David, you've misquoted him. And I have, I did. I've, I've left out four words. What four words have I left out there? Have a look. What four words have I left out there? For the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor. You see, the reason we do this is for God. Because this way of life honors God. And honoring God needs to be, has to be, must be, Our ultimate goal and primary priority. And Peter goes on to make the point in verse 15 that it is in fact God's will that you live like this and do good. Why? Well, partly to shut people up who want to have a pop at you. It's God's will that you live like this to silence 
those who speak out of turn. But you know what the key reason for doing good? And therefore demonstrating that you're a good citizen, the key reason is that this is what the Lord wants of his chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his treasured and special possessions. This submission to authority partly answers the question or the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. That When we submit to human authority, we are answering partly answering the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer as we have come to refer to it as. Your will be done. It is God's will that we live like this. But not because we have to, and this is important. It's not because we have to, it's because we choose to, and even more important, it's because we're free to do this. Look at verse 16 with me. Look at the opening phrase and the closing phrase. So it says this, live as free people, right? Don't use your freedom to to indulge in evil, yes? And then he says, live as God's slaves. Now, what do we call that? Live as free people, live as a slave. What, What is that? Paradox. Huge paradox. How can being free, is that not a contradiction? Is that not an oxymoron? Free slave? Well, yes, it is. But you know something? This potentially unlocks everything. Because being a slave or servant of God brings total freedom. Why? Well, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Plus, we are free because we are servants of God. We are free to live life as it was meant to be, free to live life in all its fullness, free to live abundantly. You see, being a a Christian is not about restriction or about limitation. It's about liberation. So we are no longer controlled by self and sin. The Bible teaches, Romans 6 teaches us explicitly that once we were slaves to sin, but not anymore, now we are slaves to righteousness. We are servants of God, which means we are now truly free people. We're free, as I say, to live God's way. And as Peter writes to this church and as Peter writes to us, to live God's way in our context, how is that revealed? How is that expressed? How is that seen? It is seen as we submit to those who are in authority. And so as servants and as slaves of God, as we've been described, we choose to live as good citizens because why? Not because we have to, but because we're free to do that. And so what we're actually talking about here is freedom in submission or freedom through submission. Now, I realize that a lot of this jars with our culture, potentially confuses lots of people because when we think of freedom, the first thing everybody thinks of is, hang on, is freedom not life without restraint, okay? Without having to submit to or obey anyone. Freedom's about total autonomy, is it not? It's being captain of my own ship. Freedom is doing what I want any old time. And slavery, well, I am a slave. This is what most, I am a slave. I am a servant of no one. So this idea of living as free people and as slaves of anyone is a nonsense in our culture. But is it really? Like, 
Does everyone not have to serve someone? Does everyone not have to serve something? Bob Dylan years ago sang the lyric, you're gonna have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And he's right. He's right. You are gonna have to serve someone. I know those are two extremes, the devil, but you're gonna have to serve someone or something. We all do. It's the way we've been wired. It's the way we've been made. The very first commandment God gave us said this, you shall have no other God, small g, before me. Capital G, God. So there are two choices, the God or lesser gods. There isn't an option for no gods. There isn't an option. In a sense, there isn't a fully atheistic option in in that sense, because if you opt for no gods, then who do you end up serving? You. Self. You live to serve you. We all serve somebody. We all serve something, even if it is just me. And therefore, we're not totally free. But you know why? Because lesser gods, and what are those lesser gods in our culture today? Well, it can be money. It can be possessions. It can be a career. It can be a relationship. It can be a desired relationship. It can be an ambition. It can be an idol. It can be self. But all lesser gods dictate to us. They will demand of us. They will determine our time and our energy and our resources and our focus. And so despite what many people today think, no one is quite as free as they say they are. But you see, if we are God's servants, if capital G God rather than any lesser God is number one in our lives, then according to scripture, according to God, we are truly free. He has declared that Christ has set us free. We may want to take up with that, but that is what God teaches That if God is number one in our lives, we are truly free. We are free slaves. And that is not a contradiction if we serve God. It is if we serve anything or anyone else. Peter tells us, listen, you've got to live as free slaves. And so you've got to live to serve God by freely submitting to those who are in authority, those in government, Because this is what it means to live a distinctively different life. This is what it means to live a holy life that is set apart for God. And that's what this is all about. You are free because you are a servant of God to live rightly in submission to those who are in authority. Still with me? No? Okay, great. Now, question, are there ever exceptions to this submission? Are there ever exceptions to submitting to governing authorities? Well, as God's servants, we are therefore ultimately under the authority of God. And so if a ruling power or a sitting government prescribes evil or demands that believers, for example, refuse to worship God or insists that believers believers, contravene God's will, then there may be times when we must choose whether to obey God or man or to obey obey God as opposed to man. So for example, Peter who wrote this, and some of you will know this, Peter on one occasion was told, listen, I am ordering you to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And then Peter was hauled before the most powerful ruling court in the nation because he refused to submit to that, to obey that. 
because he couldn't. And so he kept doing it. And why did he keep doing it? Well, he made it really clear, just to quote Acts 5, 29. He made it really clear, and he said, I'm doing this because we must, we must ultimately obey God rather than human beings. So there are exceptions. I'm not going to stand up here and, and suggest what some of those exceptions are. But when they prescribe evil, Whenever they demand Christians no longer worship God, whenever they demand that Christians contravene God's will, then we have choices to make. But I'm not sure beyond that we can say, no, well, I'm just going to obey God and not man on this one. It requires great wisdom and courage but I believe that the main thrust of Peter's teaching here and the Bible's teaching in general is that as Christians, as God's servants, the posture we adopt and must adopt is one of submission to every human authority. And as Peter clarifies this, he kind of ends this little section with four commands because some of you may be thinking, well, what exactly does it mean to live a life of submission in this? What does it mean? What does it look like? Well, Peter says in verse 70, let me give you four things it looks like. Let me tell you exactly how this looks like. And I want you to use this this morning as a bit of a checklist. Kind of filter your own life, if you like, through these lenses. So here, here's verse 17. Four imperatives, four commands. This is what a life of submission looks like. The first is this. You've got to honor everyone. You've just got to honor Everyone. Now that, that sounds rather extensive and all-encompassing. But you see, because every human being is made in God's image, they are to be and should be honored. What does that mean? They should be treated with dignity. What does that mean? They should be treated with respect. To honor someone is to treat that person as valuable, to treat that person as a person of worth. And again, you can see how distinctively different this enables a Christian to be. Because we live in a world of cheap shots. We live in a world of derogatory comments. We live in a world of insulting jibes. We live in a world of negative tweets. And it's so easy. It's so acceptable. It's just the norm to dishonor, to disrespect others, especially those who are in authority. Especially those who are in government. It's dead easy to take a cheap shot at a political leader. You see, one of the things, I, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but one of the ways that a Christian can be distinctive in today's culture is by being civil. Do you know, just by being kind, just by choosing not to speak negatively about others sets you apart in today's culture. And so Peter says, you want to live a life of submission? You want to know what this life looks like on a day-to-day -day basis? You want to know what this life looks like in practice? Then you honor everyone. You respect everyone. You treat everyone with value and worth. And a lot of that is determined and revealed by how we speak. Because as Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You've got to honor everyone. And secondly, Peter says, we have got to love the brotherhood. We've got to love the family of believers. Back in chapter one, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, and I love that song we sang earlier by this 
You will know us by our, you will know us by our love. But back in chapter one, Peter identified love for one another as a tangible sign of holiness. This is the distinguishing mark of authentic Christianity. Because Jesus said, if you want to know who belongs to me, it's those who love. By this, the whole world will know that you're my disciples. And so Peter's already drew attention to this and echoed what Jesus taught. And here, and in chapter one, he urged them, if you remember, to love each other high, deeply from the heart. Don't just say it. You've got to live this. You've got to love, you practice. This has got to work itself out in how you relate to one another. And in chapter four, and we'll eventually get there, Peter says a lot more about what brotherly love looks like. But here, as he describes a life of submission, and yes, he's talking about submitting to every human authority and governments and all of that. But one of the things he says, listen, you've got to love one another. This is the kind of in dimension of our triangle. In. And then you've got to Love out, honor everyone. Third thing he says, fear God. We should submit to human authorities, yes, but we're not to be in awe of human authorities. Only God is to be feared. And so this submission to human authority spills out of reverence and respect for God who is our supreme authority. We gotta fear God. We gotta be a church that fears God. We gotta be individuals who fear God, not are scared of God, but who treat God with reverence and respect and one of the ways that we show reverence and respect to God is by submitting to those in human authority. And then finally, honor the emperor here. Remember, remember who held that position at this time. Remember his overt opposition to Christianity and to the church. But as believers, Peter was saying, see his people belonging to God. You've got to honor Nero. Why? Because he's been made in God's image. And therefore he is a person of dignity and value and worth. And you've also got to submit to him because he is an authority over you. And if these early Christians could, could and should speak about and treat Nero with that kind of attitude, then there is no excuse, is there, for us when it comes to our attitude towards our political leaders and, and those in authority? Honor everyone, love one another, fear God, honor the emperor. There's the life of submission. And you can see how distinctive this way of life is. But let me go back up to verse 12 again that Tim reminded us of last week. This is where this all spills out from. Live, says Peter, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and may glorify God in the day he visits it. We've got to live this life. So a watching world sees us live this life, doesn't hear us joining in with so much of the negativity that characterizes our society and culture. Taking this theme on, Peter then tells us that we should also live a life of submission in the workplace. And so he writes and he tells slaves, and probably 90% of the people it's reckoned that Peter was writing to fell into this category. 
very different situation in the first century than in the 21st century, I know, so don't get confused here. So that's why the, the kind of connection is between the, us and the workplace as opposed to our understanding strictly of slavery. But Peter says, listen, you've got to live a life of submission in your workplace. What does it mean to submit in your workplace? Well, ultimately, it means to do the job you're meant to do. Just, just do the job you're employed to do. And note, and this is, this is where this, this is, a say, is a big ask, because you're, you're not just to submit to considerate masters. You're also to submit and to adopt that posture with those who are harsh, the inconsiderate ones, the ones who make working for them difficult, the lousy boss, even the ones who cause unjust suffering. And this is where this gets really difficult. It's a huge ask. But again, this is what's going to set you apart. This is what it means to be distinctively different. And so in verse 18, he says again a note. Slaves, it's not just slaves, submit. It's slaves in reverent fear of God. It's back to this, for the Lord's sake. We do it for God. And unless that is our starting point, we will never get this. They are to do this as unto the Lord. It's exactly like Paul writing to the believers in Colossians where he said, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. You see, this submission, this doing your job and doing it to the best of your ability for earthly masters, for bosses, for employers, irrespective of whether they are good, bad, or indifferent, it's done because of and in light of your ultimate submission to God. You do it for him. You do it as working for the Lord. But how should Christian servants, slaves, employees respond if they suffer unjustly in the workplace? How are we meant to respond if we're given a hard time for no legitimate reason? What happens if our boss or our line manager is harsh? Well, Peter indicates a couple of key principles for how you submit in that context. And then he explains a massive result of doing that. And finally, and somewhat shockingly, he provides a model for the workplace. So here's the two principles for how you submit in the workplace. You avoid sin and you do good. Now, these are two things, and I've said I've already touched on it, but these are two things that run right through this entire section of teaching, right from verses 11 and 12, where Tim finished last week, through to verse 20. Peter has urged his readers, do you remember one of the things they said they should do in light of who they are? They should abstain from sinful desires. You've got to avoid sin. That's how you live a life of submission in the work that you avoid sin. He warned them not to use their freedom as an excuse for doing evil. You avoid sin. And he points that there is no credit in doing wrong and enduring it. In other words, there's, there's no, there is no credit in just living life as you like and then finding out that you're getting hassled for it. So this is where we suffer unjustly for 
no good reason. But one of the things Peter says is, listen, you've got to avoid sin. And so in submitting to our employers and to governing authorities for that matter, that is to be one of the key principles that guides us. But secondly, we're to do good. And the number of times this appears in these verses is striking. Let me just quote some of it. Live such good lives. Let the people see your good deeds. It is God's will that by doing good. If you suffer, says Peter, for doing good. You know, sometimes we hear ourselves saying that Christianity and following Jesus is not about doing good. Sometimes we, we, we actually say that. That Christianity and following Jesus is not about good. Now, I understand why we do say it, because we don't want to imply that we're saved by doing good or good works. But you know, at the same time, Christianity and following Jesus and being a servant of God is absolutely about doing good. This should characterize our life and living. This is what should set us apart. Doing good as citizens governed by whoever. Doing good as employees working for whatever kind of a boss should be part and parcel of our day-to-day Christianity. And so it's these two principles, says Peter, that should dictate and should determine your submission. You avoid sin. Do good. That's not, that's not complicated, that's. But notice the result. The results flow from living like this. So, for example, up in verse 12, what does Peter say? Peter says, do you know what the result of doing good is? God is glorified. It's not about you. But when you do good, when you live this life, God is glorified. In verse 15, what does doing good do? It silences opposition to the the Christian faith. And in verses 19 to 20, here's the result. And this is huge. What is the result of this kind of living? God's commendation. You see, if we do good in the workplace, if we do the job we're required to do, if we submit, especially if we submit in a tough environment against a frustrating backdrop, Okay, your boss, your master, your layman, whatever you want to call it, may not be impressed. But God is. God is. God sees. And I did say at the beginning that I realize some of this teaching is difficult. But at this point, it gets really stretching. Because Peter finishes this section before he moves on to submission in the home and in marriage. I'm so glad that Gordon's teaching him that. I've been there, done that. But he finishes this section by telling his readers that their example in living like this is none other than Jesus. None other than Jesus who suffered unjustly at the hands of others. Peter writes in verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Do you know something? At some level, and I've, does that not send a chill down your spine? At 
as we suffer for doing good, and we will, we will in the workplace and we will in society, if we do, Jesus is to be our example. And so the question we've got to ask, and this is what Peter's in, the question we've got to ask is, how did Jesus respond whenever he was treated unjustly? How did Jesus respond? Well, for a start, he avoided sin. That's what he says. He avoided sin. This backs up, this echoes one of the first principles Peter's been saying, avoid sin. Jesus avoided sin. And so according to verse 22, which is a direct quote, of some of you will know of Isaiah 53, it says, Jesus committed no sin. And it goes on. He didn't retaliate. That's our example. He didn't retaliate. He never issued any threats despite suffering painfully and justly. And Peter says, that's your model. That's your model. And Peter goes on drawing attention to the example of Jesus. And I know we need to be careful here, but we need to be really careful here because obviously there was something incredibly unique about what Jesus did on the cross. As it says, he bore our sins. None of us can do that. And so I know I've got to be cautious about where I push this with the idea of Jesus being our example. But picking up the second principle that Christians are to do good, there is no doubt that the cross was and is the supreme good deed in history. And therefore, our good deeds, our doing good, should follow the pattern of the cross. That is, though we get treated unfairly, though we get treated and suffer unjustly, though we may be misunderstood, misrepresented, mistaken, we still do good. We still submit. Why? Because in that, we're following in the steps of Jesus. And in all of this, you can see what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, listen, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a treasured possession. Here's what that looks like. Here's how you live that distinctively different life. You submit. You submit to those in authority. You submit to your employers. You avoid sin. You do good. You receive God's commendation. And you follow the example of Jesus. And I know that out of this morning, there's probably lots of people thinking, yeah, yeah. But David, I need to ask a question. Like, in fact, I need to ask lots of questions. Because what about... And then some of you have sat there the whole time with specific situations and examples and people in your minds. Whether it's a government, whether it's an employer, whether it's a boss, whether it's a whatever. And there is a sense I know in which we need to take this further and we need to dig deeper and we need to talk it out in more detail. But please, please, whatever we do, do not allow the difficulties to overshadow our Christian duty. Live such good lives. Why? So that God is glorified. 